Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Bhutang tamang sankang namasami. <coughs> so we are now well in the second half of the retreat. And I, I thought I want to try to give a bit of a summary of... Uh, what we have so far you know, been trying to communicate to you, more or less successful. And um, I've brought a quote from, from the canon, from the Ankutara Nikaya, which is one of the four books of suttas. And... It's from the Ankutana Rikaya number 201. <clears throat> Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four foundations of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of enlightenment. So, so far we have been speaking, Ayanana Bodhi spoke about the five hindrances. And there's also this little poster on the board outside. The five hindrances are compared to five different um, bowls of water. And how they all, you know, distort reality in, in different ways. And... And how we can become aware of those five hindrances, if they are present or not, is by just looking at our own body and mind. And a way to do that is, for example, by working with the four foundations of mindfulness. So, you know, this gives us, so to say, like an access road into body and mind. And the first one is looking at the body, sensing the body from inside. The second one is looking at feelings. The third one is looking at the quality of the mind or the mood of the mind. And the last one is looking at the content of the mind in different uh, ways, like looking at it in terms of is there a hindrance or not? Or looking at it in terms of the Four Noble Truths or the Three Characteristics. And then through doing this, you know, the mind increasingly gets, um, quote unquote, purified. And then, you know, lots of things can happen, like, you know, a lot of emotions can come up, like strong dreams and, you know, different. Um, the body might just make some 
involuntary movements or you know we feel some tension in the body we haven't felt before even it might have been there but we haven't been sensitized enough to feel it so it's a kind of a clearing out through giving some space around experience this is like a healing process really and it can be more or less uh, you know traumatic depending on the past you know which is unraveling if there was like traumatic experiences it can be quite you know kind of powerful this is different from person to person and you know and once we have been hanging in long enough with this and we you know have a certain ability of um, not attaching to what we're experiencing that doesn't mean you know kind of you know being aloof and and detached in a sense you know of kind of um, avoiding or escaping but being fully there with what is neither resisting it nor indulging in it and then through that a healing occurs like a, a, a cleaning out so to say and you know it becomes the luggage which we are carrying around becomes lighter and lighter so like in the word enlightenment it everything is becomes lighter through you know shining the light of awareness onto the body and the mind and there's a very beautiful example uh, i liked it very much you know imagine there's a cave a dark cave and there was no light in this cave for millions of years you know if you just once turn on a candle or a flashlight you know you see the cave and the darkness of a million years is gone in an instant and even if the light goes out again you know you have seen it so it's like that you know sometimes it looks like hopeless but then you know just one flash and one can see something and once you have really seen it deeply that's just stays with you so you never know you know when the light comes on so you know especially when we you know when we let go it's and when a relaxation sets in it's much more likely you know that the uh, insight occurs there's this one uh, lovely uh, story also in the suttas about ananda who was the buddha's cousin and his uh, attendant for many many years and he's the one you know who who um, remembered all of the teachings of the buddha and so you know he was very busy because he constantly had to be at there at all teachings and remember them obviously he hadn't, didn't have so much time for meditation because when it came you know after the buddha passed away and when there was the first council he wasn't invited because he hadn't realized full enlightenment yet but because he was the one who could remember everything it would would have been very important for him to come there so he really tried to get enlightened quickly and then at one point he he just gave up because he just so I just can't do it and then he just was lying down on his bed and at the moment when the pillow I mean the head hit the pillow he he reached enlightenment was it like that yeah so because he had given up you know 
So, yeah. So working with the four foundations of mindfulness, it gives us an entrance way, or you know, it's like having a map which we can use, or having some footholds when we want to climb a steep mountain. And those, you know, those footholds they have been used by lots of people over yeah, a long time by now, and it seems to work quite okay. So why not, you know, shouldn't it work for us as well? And through working with the Four Foundation of Mindfulness, you know, and increasingly uh, clearing out and cleaning out and lightening up the luggage, the, what's called the seven factors of enlightenment, they start to blossom. And they are like the path to enlightenment as well as, you know, what constitutes enlightenment. So they are both the path and the fruit at the same time. And I just want to go through them, those seven factors of enlightenment. In Pali they are called bochanga. Sometimes they are also called factors of awakening. So the first one is uh, mindfulness, sati, which is you know, central to the whole practice. Because, you know, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, it's mentioned so much because that's really where the possibility for freedom lies in mindfulness. And the word sati can also be translated to remember. So to remember every moment, to be aware every moment what's happening. That is, you know, the central quality, which is, we can say, like, is the agent for transformation, is awareness. And, you know, with the five hindrances when you were teaching, you said, you know, it, it's not about kind of pushing them away or so, but to be aware if they are present. And that itself is enough to not get caught in it. And with the seven factors of enlightenment, it's the same. You know, we just look at them. Are they present or are they not present? We don't have to, you know, push ourselves to, for them to be here, but just knowing exactly if they are present or not present. Is, are there hindrances present or are there seven factors of enlightenment present? So the first one, is there sati or not? You know, and becoming a, a, a looking in that way, this is already requires sati, so, or mindfulness. And then, you know, through being aware of what's going on in the present moment, and then, you know, bringing in the second factor of enlightenment, which is called Dhamma Vichaya, or investigation of Dhammas, investigation of things, or investigation of objects. This is, you know, looking at our present experience and referring back to what we have heard in the teachings. So, you know, bringing in the list, for example, of the three characteristics or just looking at experience in terms of impermanence. This would be Dhamma Vichaya, investigating what we are experiencing in our own body and mind according to some, you know, concept which we have heard or read about the teaching. That's Dhamma Vichaya. 
and then you know if we rec if we you know look deep enough we can recognize for example one concept we can recognize it in our own experience and that brings up a certain kind of energy because you know it starts to it starts to work we we see what we are looking for and we see how it works and then it you know we gain some interest and this interest you know can also be it arouses energy because we see you know there's something happening we can you know we can work with this and then if energy is arising it you know it brings joy and you know energy in the pali language is called virya and you know it's we have to also then distinguish between right and wrong energy you know really kind of forcing ourselves wanting more you know in a in a forceful way is wouldn't be conducive either but just you know rather like uh you know surfing in an effortless way just riding on the on the momentum which the investigation gets if we start to uh recognize what we have learned if we start to see that in our own experience and then it also you know the energy turns into into joy and uh, you know a kind of a dhamma joy a wholesome joy which is not you know depending on having a pleasant experience but it comes from uh, feeling you know that we are on the right track with this and it can sometimes be quite powerful you know it's called pity in a bali language or is translated as as rapture and it's like it's compared in the scriptures with you know somebody walking in the desert for a long time without water and food and then seeing an oasis in the in the distance you know this kind of a joy where the feeling i'm on the right track and i can't wait to get there so it can be sometimes kind of quite powerful so we have to be careful not to get carried away by it you know into too much kind of efforting and and thinking so then if we can can stay with that joy and, and contain it that it 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 turns into tranquility because you know if we have a certain fullness you know in a certain kind of you know satisfaction through this joy then tranquility will follow if we you know don't interrupt the process and get stuck on the joy so then the mind starts to settle and tranquility in in a pali language is pasadi the mind starts to settle and starts to you know uh, collect or become focused on concentration on samadhi and then you know if the mind is settled and uh, focused and quiet it it becomes very equanimous and then you know this is like when the surface of the lake starts to really settle and then with this equanimity this you know um 
tranquility, we can see into the process what with much more clarity and also, you know, this equanimity uh, equips us very well, you know, to meet whatever is happening in life and use it uh, for more insight, you know. Because if there's equanimity, there's also mindfulness. And then, again, you know, the whole thing, Dhamma, Vichaya, Virya, Pity, and it's just like gains momentum, this whole wheel of uh, wholesome qualities. So these are the seven factors of enlightenment, which are basically, you know, the opposite of the five hindrances. And the whole teaching basically is all about, you know, wanting to cultivate and make much of those seven factors of enlightenment. And, you know, cultivating the mind of non-grasping. Because when the hindrances are present, there's always some kind of grasping present. And when we, as soon as we notice it, and, you know, come back to just fully being with whatever is present, that's when already the first factor of enlightenment is again present. So it's just constantly going back and forth, you know, until there is a certain, you know, openness and space around what's present. And then the seven factors of enlightenment start to Um, appear in the mind. So that's a, you know that's a very kind of simple way how how we can have a map of of the practice. And in the beginning, you know, before we have ever heard of anything like this, we tend to be completely identified with, with our experience. You know, if there's any emotion, we, we are completely, we completely become it. For example, if there's, for example, anger, we are very, we can become very angry if we have no, no mindfulness and we don't even know that we are angry. We are just acting out and then maybe like, Half an hour later, we wake up, oh my gosh, I very much regret what I have said or what I have done. So, you know, if that happens often enough and you have enough remorse, then there starts, you know, an interest comes in to have some understanding about how this works. Why do we get drawn in like this, you know, into complete unconsciousness and, be, you know, acting out like a machine, basically, not knowing what we are doing. So it's like this emotion is, has us totally in its grip and we are not aware of it. And then if we start, you know, to have a perspective on it through, you know, either reading or hear, hearing about the teachings, about mindfulness, then we, we start to have our experience instead of the experience having us. So that's a very important, you know, shift in our life. Because then, you know, if we get more skilled in, in 
not becoming our experience but having it, then you know there's a certain measurement of, of choice arising in our lives then. Because you know you can then if you have it, you can also as well not have it, you just put it down. And then you know if we have a certain uh, skill in that, then we can also start to go further by not only you know have do we have our experience, but we can also become aware how we have our experience. You know, do we have this experience with aversion or attachment, or are we just equanimous with it? Are we just aware of it? So, and then that becomes the most important element of the practice. It's not anymore what's happening to us, but how we relate to it. This is where we can, you know, really then start to have have um, a choice of of how we want to uh, cultivate our mind. Then we can notice, you know, is there often aversion arising or not, or do we have, you know, what what interests us, what excites us, where where can we get stuck, and we can we can start to um, you know, really attend to the way we get carried away, for example. You know, are we constantly in a hurry, for example? Are we always, you know, do we need to kind of always, you know, speak about our own experience or do we always need to, you know, please people? Or different things become kind of clear. And then you know, we can enact a, a choice there and what we want to cultivate and what we want to change through purely you know, being aware of it. So first, you know, our experience, we are totally identified, we don't know what we are really doing. Our experience completely has us. Second step, we start to have, have it. And then third step would be, you know, we we become aware in which kind of a way we have it. So then, you know, the whole life becomes our practice. And there's nothing, you know, which, which is not inside the practice. Everything is practice. And then if we keep going, further going, then... You know, we become more and more able to recognize or become conscious of awareness itself and the quality of our awareness. And, you know, we are increasingly able to just rest as that. As that. And, you know, the whole, whatever happens is, is uh, fuel for, you know, transforming our lives into, you know, increasingly more and more um, one taste, how it's said in the, in the Matriana teaching, you know. We have less and less preferences, but we can see, you know, whatever happens to us is just fuel for enlightenment.
and you know that takes a, a, a lifetime or a few lifetimes and it, it's you know it, it doesn't matter any longer because there you know it's it becomes our you know our whole life is like arranged around that And, you know, those seven factors of enlightenment in the teachings, they are compared to seven treasures. So they are considered, you know, the most precious treasures a human being can be concerned about. And it's also said, you know, that those seven factors of enlightenment are very unique to the teachings of all the Buddhas who have been, you know, appearing in the world over the eons. That's all, you know, this is very particular teachings which all the Buddhas have been um, teaching. And also, you know, there's a chant in the Pali language about those seven factors of enlightenment. And they have also been in the scriptures we can read, they have been also used you know, for healing people who have been very ill. Just l- listening to this chant must have been healing. And also mentioned that the Buddha was once ill and this chant was chanted for him and also for other of his uh, disciples. So, you know, they have been very, very central always to the teaching. So the five hindrances, the four foundations of mindfulness, and the seven factors of enlightenment. In one way they cover the whole teaching of the Buddha. And I think sometimes we feel like a bit overwhelmed by all of the different things we hear about the teaching and by all of the things which are going on inside of our, our body and mind is to just come back to this map. It's like a world map, you know. It's like the big map. And then, you know, we gain some kind of orientation on, on, onto our own experience by, by finding you know, direction through through a map like this. And just, you know, resting into the bigger picture and also trusting that this process has its own intelligence and we don't have to sort it all out. So, you know, if, if we take care of our intention you know, wanting to wake up and then, you know, we put the conditions in place, this waking up will occur in its own time according, you know, to our karma, as we said, and our past life cultivation and also the effort we put in right now. 
So it's all kind of, you know, coming together. And what we need to do is to just, you know, put in the patience and 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 the right effort for it to happen. And you know, it's also saying the most external, the most important external factor for those seven factors of enlightenment to arise are good spiritual friends, good company, you know, to be with wise people and to avoid foolish people. And the most important internal fa factor is, is wise intention, attention. So it's obviously not rocket science, you know, it's not that difficult. We just have to, to do it. <laughs> And, but it does, you know, it, it's like a spinning wheel. It does gain momentum if we um, come back to it again and again. It does gain its own momentum. But then if you always like stopping and starting, stopping and starting, stopping and starting, then, you know, it's kind of a bit of a drag. This is where retreats are so, can be so powerful, you know. This is like you are not stopping and starting. You we are all the time, you know, in a very <coughs> conducive environment with very little interruption, with people who want, you know, who do the same, with good friends, so to say, lots of support, lots of reminders. So then, you know, the, the wheel really starts to turn. But then, you know, when it's turning, then it's time to go home. So, but then at least, you know, you've had a taste how it can be. So this, this retreat is a very good opportunity to see, you know, how we can create very good conditions for, for this process, you know, to, to gain its own momentum. This is like when, you know, there's sati, mindfulness, and dhamma vichaya, investigation of dhammas, and the energy comes and you know, rapture comes up. This is exactly that, you know, where it starts, it just starts to turn, it gains its own momentum. And through that, you know, tranquility comes about. This is what's happening here. And this tranquility allows a certain collectedness of mind and equanimity. And I think we can all feel that here in the room, you know. That's what we have, you know, been creating now over those few days. This energy, and which is like very, kind of holds all of us. It's very conducive for, for insight. It's much more difficult to do this alone. So I think I end by reading this one more time for you. The quote from the Anguttara Nikaya number 201. Whosoever is emancipated from the world does so by removing the five hindrances, firmly establishing the mind in the four foundations of mindfulness and cultivating the seven factors of enlightenment. 
So that's the world map of the teachings of the Buddha as far as I understand it. And um, I'm going to hang that on the board so you can read it again if you like. So we're going to chant the Bochanga little um, sutta now for you. What? What? We just have to check something. We haven't done it for a long time, but it's going to work out, I guess. Bochanko satisankato dhammanang vichayotata viryang pittipasati bochanka chatata pare samadupeka bochanka Satete sabatasina munina samadakata pavita bahulikata sangvatanti apinyaya panaya chapodia etena satchavachena sotite Hotu sabata ekasming samayenato mogalanan chakasapangilane dukite disvarojamo chimsodankane etena satchavajena sotite hotu sabata ekasatamaraja pike Elanena pipilito chundate renatane wapana petawana sadaran samoditawa chapata tanghavuta sitana so etena satchavachena sotite hotu sabata pahinate chapata Apata Tina Nampi Mahesina Maga Kakatile Savatatano Pati Damatang Etena Satchavajena Sotite Hotu Sabata. So we'll chant the sharing of blessings. Just, um, you know, and as when we do this chant, it's not just 
just another chant. All of these chants have meaning. But really to, to bring to mind the effort we put in today in our practice and you know the struggles and the insights, whatever we may have experienced, the patience, and to recognize that this is uh, developing spiritual strength, spiritual qualities, and that we can share this with others consciously. So we're going to do the chant on page 33, 33, 33. <clears throat> now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, May the highest devas and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life, May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing. May all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth, may I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble guide. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. So we'd end with the Metta Mantra. Get you to sleep well tonight. May I be, may I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. 
I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May you be filled with love and kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you be happy. May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well, may we be peaceful and at ease, may we be happy, may I be filled with love and kindness, may I be be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May you be filled with love and kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. May you May we be filled with love and kindness. May we be well. May we be peaceful and at ease. May we be happy. May I be filled with love and kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May you be filled with love and kindness. May you be well, may you be peaceful and at ease, may you be happy, may we be filled with love and kindness, may we be well, may we be peaceful. And at ease, may we be happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.